Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together, and I just pray that you will be glorified uh, this morning, that you will speak through me, Father, that you will increase our faith, our faith in you and our faith in your word and in who you are. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done and thank you for what you're going to do this morning. We praise you in your precious name. Amen. I thought for this morning's session I would start with sharing just a little bit of my personal testimony, um, kind of give some groundwork for where I'm coming uh, with prayer ministry, and I think it's encouraging just to, just to hear where people have come from and, and what God is doing in their lives. <clears throat> but um, I'm, So I'm going to start with testimony this morning, and then um, I'm going to share some more. I mean, as we go through the whole week, we'll be talking about tools and keys to grow your prayer life. But you'll see it's a lifestyle. It's really a lifestyle of consecration to God and surrender and obedience and really having an ear to his voice. And so that will be throughout all the different themes. And we're also going to take some practical time to pray together and just show you how I would lead starting a small group prayer ministry or starting a, a larger group as well, some different things. And so we'll do that, we'll do that part way through the week. But to start with, I want us to just turn in our Bibles to John chapter 11. And this is a story that I know that you guys are very, very um, familiar with. That's not obviously brand new. John chapter 11. So this is a story where um, Lazarus, had died. Obviously, Martha and Mary had asked Jesus to come and to help them because they believed that he could. But Jesus doesn't come. He comes four days too late, is what it seems like, right? So picking up in John chapter 11, um, we're going to look at verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him but Mary stayed still at the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So if you had been here four days ago, my brother would not have died. But, she says, I know that even now, whatever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. So we see the, the faith that, that Martha has in, in Jesus if he had been there a few days before. So Jesus responds in verse 23. Thy brother shall rise again. Your brother's going to come back to life. Then listen to what Martha says in verse 24. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But was Jesus talking about the last day? No, he was talking about today, right? But I think so often what happened with Martha right here in these few verses happens with us as well. You know, especially we've grown up in the church, we've heard a lot about the God of yesterday, how God parted the waters of the Red Sea, and, and he, he raised the dead to life, and brought manna from heaven, and all these different things. And we talk a lot about this. It, this encourages our faith. And something else we also talk about is the God of tomorrow, the God of the future. We know a day is coming when his spirit is going to be poured out, and when there's going to be more miracles and evidences that he's with us in the physical realm. But what about today? Do we still serve the God of today? Yes, intellectually we know that. But how do we live? How is our faith in this God? We see as the story goes on, um, Jesus takes Martha to the tomb or says, take me to where he is, and you see the doubt that is still expressed in Martha as he gets to the tomb because he's saying, roll away the stone. She's like, Lord, do you really want to do that? You know he's going to stink. You don't want to do that. And even still, she's trying to stop him from doing the miracle today. And so often um, it's true in our own lives. Do we believe in a God that is living and powerful today? I want to tell you a story. Uh, just think this is a, just a powerful story. We don't hear many stories like this. Um, there was a group in Vietnam. Vietnam is a little bit more difficult region spiritually. They, they can't have open um, services and things like this because it's a communist country. 
And so there was a, a group, a house church, meeting together and praying uh, that God would work and, and do a deeper work in each of their lives. And as they're praying, they begin to have a burden. And you know this happens as we pray. First, we're kind of praying about our own little issues and things. But then as God is growing, he gives us a burden for the lost. He gives us a burden that's wider than ourselves. And that's the purpose um, of prayer is, is to reclaim what has been lost. You know, I think it's so beautiful. If, if you are ever looking for your purpose in life, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, it's the ministry of reconciliation. It's to reconcile God and, and mankind. We are to be reconciled and we are to help others come back to God. And so that is the purpose, ultimately, of prayer. And we've been hearing that, by the way, in the morning devotions. How many of you have been part of the devotion with Jason Sliger? If you haven't heard them, you need to get the CDs. I'm going to take a series home with me because they've been so powerful about putting on the armor and the fact that we are actually in a battle. This is not peacetime living. We are in a spiritual battle. And we have been actually ever since, ever since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden walked away from God. So anyway, back to this church in Vietnam. They began praying for a wider purpose. And they began praying, Lord, um, you know, a couple members in the house church, they actually came from this village that was about 100 miles away. And there were no believers in that village, and they had a heart that God would do something in that village. So they began praying, Lord, please, please help us to reach that village or, or, or bring people to know you in that village. And so while they're meeting and praying, this woman from the village, her name was Yen, came to the city where they are. And she was struggling uh, with stomach issues and found out that it was a terminal disease, probably stomach cancer or something like that. And so the doctors couldn't do anything for her, but she knew the people in the house church, and they invited her to come and to learn about Jesus. And she accepted um, Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she began opening her Bible and, and eating the words and just falling in love with Jesus that she'd never known because she was not a Christian previously. But she's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so it's not looking good. And so she goes back to her village to be close to her family. And they continue praying. Lord, we've been praying that you would give us a believer in this village to spread your love and, and to share about you. And now there's one here, but she's dying. Lord, can you please do something? Can you please save her? And so they're praying and praying. And then the sister of Yen calls them on the phone and tells them, you need to prepare for a funeral. She's almost gone. And they tell the sister, who's also not a Christian, we've been praying that God would heal her. And we serve a God that is living and powerful, and we believe he's going to heal her. And the sister's kind of scoffing. <laughs> you don't understand what's happening here. She's about to die. You need to prepare to come for a funeral. So anyway, and they tell her before they hang up the phone, they say, um, Yen took back with her a, a black book, and it's called The Bible. And in that book, there's a chapter. If you look it up, it's in Psalms. And I think it's Psalms 31. Let me double check here. Um, we want you to, to open that book to this chapter in Psalms. Actually, it's, it's going to be Psalms 30. Open, open, your, open the Bible to this <laughs> chapter and read these verses and put Yen's name in the passages. Well, the lady kind of scoffs. They hang up the phone, and they continue praying, Lord, you've given us a believer. Please do something. Well, then they pack up their bags. A couple days later, they arrive at the village, and they found out what happened. What happened? Yen died. She actually died. But this is what happened. That sister, who did not believe in God, after she was already dead, she remembered what they had said about the Bible. And she thought, well, it wouldn't hurt to do what they said, you know, even if I don't believe in their God, I can at least do what they said, you know, with respect to my sister. And so she did. She opened, um, she opened the Bible and she started, started reading it. You know, Psalms 30, verse 2, Lord cried unto thee, thou hast healed, and she puts Yen's name in there. Lord, thou hast brought up Yen from the grave, thou hast kept Yen alive, that she should not go down into the pit. And she continues reading. And as she's reading these passages from Scripture, Yen begins to move. And Yen came back to life. Not only did this woman come back to life, 
She was completely healed. You know, when God raises somebody from the dead, <laughs> he, he, he heals as well. This is a beautiful, beautiful... So as a result of this, you can imagine that people all over the village wanted to know about what had happened that had brought her back to life. And as they discovered that it was the living God, they wanted to know about that God. And um, a group came together, and there are more still coming together uh, to worship and serve God as a result of that miracle. And this, this happened just a few years ago. Uh, the story was shared with me through the ASAP, Adventist Southeast Asia Project Ministries. They have a lot of amazing testimonies. But this happened because there was a group of people that were unwilling to let go and just said, we're going to pray. We believe this is God's will to, to bring salvation to this village. And so they began praying. Now, I've had a really big burden in my heart, not necessarily to go around raising people from the, from the dead, but to see people come from the dead spiritually. You know, we live in a generation of people that are sleeping in death spiritually. And so that has been my prayer. You know, Lord, just help us as a people and show me what part you want me to play in this of helping people come back to, from the dead. I love this quote from Steps to Christ. It says, why are the sons and daughters of God reluctant to pray when, what comes next? Prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence. So if God has given us the key, why are we so reluctant to use the key? Think about this. Now let's talk about this key just a moment. We have all been given this key, and I carry this around <laughs> as an illustration. Each one of us have been given this key. But think about it, if you go and put a key in a door, you just put it in, is the door going to open? No, what do you have to do? We have to turn it, right? So prayer is the key in the hand of faith, and what turns the key? Faith. We have to believe in the God that we're praying to. Are we just saying a prayer? Are we just doing our duty? Do we really believe that God cares and that it is his desire to answer prayers? course, we have that in the context. Are we praying according to his will for his glory? We're told when we pray for our own lust, um, you know, we don't see those answers. But prayer is the key in the hand of faith um, to unlock heaven's storehouse. Unfortunately, I think all of you probably have those keychains, and you have extra keys on your keychain that you carry around, and you use them once in a while, but you really don't need to be carrying them around because you, know, you might use it once a month or once a week or something like that. And oftentimes I think that that's what prayer is. We just carry it around like an extra key. And God is wanting us to live in prayer. You know, prayer is the breath of the soul. It's actually our very sustenance of life and breathing. And we can no more live spiritually without prayer than we can live physically without breathing. Seriously. Prayer is not just a magic key that we pull out in emergencies. You know, Working with prayer ministries and everything, I have a lot of people that come to me with prayer requests. And I don't mind praying with people, especially here and now, but I tell people time and time again, I'm not the only one that has received this key. This is each one of you has received the key. And you know, you might come to me and you say, you know, can you please pray for my brother? He's not walking with the Lord. And I could say, yes, I'll pray for your brother. But who is going to be most earnest and agonizingly persevering for the salvation of your brother? It's going to be you, right? Because you know that person. And that is the prayers that God answers. He's looking for that earnest, sincere desire of the heart. It's not the eloquence. It's not the flowery words. It doesn't matter how you say it. He's looking for the sincerity of the heart. Do these people have a heart for me? Do they have a, a hunger um, for me? And, and, and do they believe? And so that's what he's looking for. It's not any one of us that have this key. We've all been given it, but are we using it? Talked about prayer as a key in the hand um, to staying spiritually alive. I believe many Christians or most Christians have settled for what I call life in the desert, the spiritual wilderness. You know, we're told in the Bible that God called the children of Israel out of Egypt 
But what was his purpose when he called them out of Egypt? His purpose was to take them to the Canaan, to promised land. And the same is for us today. He is calling us out of Egypt, out of the world, to take us to the promised land. But unfortunately, many of us have got stuck in the desert. And I actually believe that we have been raised in a generation of, of lukewarm wilderness Christianity. And because we've been raised in that generation, we really don't see that there's more. You know, yes, we know about the George Mueller's of the past, and yes, we know about these different things, but well, God doesn't work that God doesn't work that way today. We are just barely surviving, <laughs> stressed, tired, weary, too busy to take quality time with God. This is a really sobering quote. Most professed Christians have no sense of the spiritual strength they might obtain were they as ambitious, zealous, and persevering to gain a knowledge of divine things as they are to obtain the perishable things of this life. Many are satisfied to be spiritual dwarfs. Now, I know that it is your desire to be much more than that because you're here and you're hungry, and that is a huge uh, prerequisite for going deeper. I love this promise from John 10.10. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So here we see the promise that God has given us. He wants to give us life and life more abundantly. But what was the first part of this verse that I left off? I've come that they might have life, but before that, yes, the thief comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I'm come that they might have life and life more abundantly. So the enemy is trying to rob us of faith. He's trying to steal our joy. He's trying to steal our trust in God and our ability to cling to his word and trying to steal from us the fact that God really does have more in store for us. So a little bit more of my story. I grew up um, in the wilderness. <laughs> I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church in a lukewarm, um, small, kind of Laodicean church that really honestly hasn't changed that much over the years. I've been away from home for many years now, but the church pretty much still looks about the same as it did when I was young. But I really struggled, I have to be honest, I really struggled as a child with church. One reason was I didn't really feel like I saw a lot of life there. I didn't really see a lot of, you know, it, was, it seemed like it was more of a routine. But another thing that was really hard for me was just the hypocrisy and seeing how people treated one another. Um, and unfortunately, because of some of those things that happened in our church, some of my family chose not to remain in the church because of that. And think about how many walk away from God because they don't see the reality of God in the lives of those of us that profess to serve him. So it was, it was discouraging. I didn't really enjoy church. But I will say, and I praise the Lord for this, God gave me parents that really genuinely love the Lord. And I saw the reality in their own lives they didn't go home and do something different. They genuinely loved the Lord. They genuinely loved others. My parents are very, very giving people, just to give you a glimpse. Always, always helping people. Always taking people in that need. We had um, a single mom with seven children that lived with us for three years. Her, the children's ages were 1 to 13 when they came to live with us. And um, they moved away about five or six years ago now and have um, the single mom has since remarried. And then we had another single mom that lived with us after them, and she had two children. She lived with us until a year ago. All the way back through my life, this is how my parents treat and love. They're continually taking in the outcasts, continually taking in those that need help. And I saw genuine Christianity. I saw genuine prayer. I remember waking up in the morning. Um, my dad was a forester. He worked in the forestry service. And so we would spend sometimes weeks and a couple months in the spring and fall up in, in Minnesota, in the north woods of Minnesota, working with Potlatch Corporation. And he just loved it because he's a woodsman. And basically we'd be camped out in this beautiful environment and he'd be out working, you know, with the trees and, and with logging and planting trees and many different things. And he says, you know, we have such an amazing life we get paid to do what most people actually pay, you know, to come and have a vacation out here. But we get paid to live out here and, you know, enjoy 
nature. So anyway, I would travel, and my younger brothers, once they came along the same, and my mom and I, we would go and travel with him. He would wake up like at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he would start praying. And he would pray out loud. (laughs) Out loud. And at first I remember being a little annoyed (laughs) because I'm like, why does he have to pray out loud? Because I'm still trying to sleep. But then it began to be a comfort and an encouragement to me. And I would be like, Daddy, if you're going to pray in the morning and wake me up, can you pray for such and such? You know, (laughs) can you pray for my friends this or that or whatever? And he would. And I saw answers to prayer. I saw God answering our prayers for people we were praying for, these different things. And so kind of subliminally, you know, God is putting in my heart the beauty and the power of prayer before I really started a prayer life myself. You know, I was taught to pray. I saw my parents pray. I saw answers to prayer. But it actually was not until high school that it really became more of a reality to me. And you know, many young people, this is the same way. We kind of live under the shadow of our parents' religion for a time, but then eventually it becomes ours. And that was in high school when I really started having my personal devotions and I started praying and spending time. And I remember reading stories from the past, like you know, Jason was sharing this morning in his morning worship, you know, about the things that God has done for other people and, and looking around and saying, Lord, I, I want to see this in my generation. I want to be used. Uh, I want to see you work now as well. And so even though I struggled, I didn't really see God doing a lot in the church, I had in my heart that he had more in store. And so that's been kind of the quest of my life. But I'll share a little bit more. Uh, So uh, I, I graduated from high school, ended up going to Southern Adventist University. And I see a classmate here from Southern, so that's awesome. Uh, and had a wonderful experience there, was very active in different ministries and different things. Uh, but still, even when I was at Southern, I was, I was doing the right thing. I was the good girl, all these different things. But I feel like I was still living in that superficial wilderness experience. Um, I got very busy after graduating uh, from Southern as a nurse and started traveling here and there around the world and doing many, having many wonderful adventures. But when I look back on those early years, and I didn't see this eventually, I thought I was, you know, I thought great things were happening and I was having great adventures. There was very, very little fruit in my life. You know, yeah, I've been so-and-so and I've done this and that, but there wasn't really fruit. And I didn't understand initially what, what I was missing or what was going on. God allowed me, after, after Southern, to walk through a very difficult heartbreak experience. I'm going to share a little bit more of that in another testimony in a few days when I talk about holding on and having faith in God, even when it seems like he's silent. You know, it's, you see answers to prayer and and you pray and you expect that God's going to answer because you're praying and you're claiming the promises. But what do we do when it seems like God isn't answering, when it seems like he's not hearing? And I'm going to address some of those more deep core faith issues that we challenge. And we all have our different experiences. So I walked through a very, um, very discouraging time in my life. Um, And I'll leave that testimony for another day. And through that experience, God began to awaken me to the fact that I needed a deeper experience with Him. And did I really recognize the power of the cross? Did I really recognize why he had to die for me. I think this is a struggle for us that have grown up in the church with Christianity, with the gospel being shared. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, I believe it. But it does not pierce our hearts. We don't really understand the sinners that we are. Intellectually, yes, we've asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins but it doesn't break our heart. We don't understand what he has done. And I began to recognize this. I mean, I see people come into the church and I see how broken they are at the foot of the cross. And I began to recognize the cross really does not touch me. I have an intellectual understanding, but it's not broken me. And I began to pray, Lord, help me understand the cross. And so he allows me to go through some difficult experiences and um, begins to ask me, Melody, do you recognize how desperately you need Jesus. Do you recognize what I actually did for you? And going through this breaking experiencing, going through this breaking experience, 
recognizing the power of the cross totally changed my perspective and, and my life. And I remember I was actually in Bangladesh at the time, and I'll share a little bit more of this with tomorrow's testimony because these are kind of overlapping a little bit. But I was in Bangladesh, and I'm looking... You know, I was there with a medical team from Loma Linda University. I graduated from Southern with nursing, with nursing, and then I started traveling, doing travel nursing, ended up in Loma Linda, California, started doing mission trips with the medical group from Loma Linda. And so I was in Bangladesh, and just looking at the poverty, and, and around the city, 169 million people crammed into an area the size of the state of Iowa, basically. And we have about 300 million in the whole United States. So imagine half the population of the United States in the state of Iowa. That's, that's a concentration of people. And just horrible conditions and a lot of struggles. And thinking, Lord, how, how could we possibly make a difference here? How can, you know, because I'm handing out food and stuff like that, but it's, it's just nothing. And that's when he began to show me, that's the condition of your heart. You're trying to be good. You're trying to do this and that. But you know that it doesn't make a dent. You need my blood. You need to be covered by my blood, my sacrifice. It is the cross. The cross is our only saving grace. You need to cling to the cross. Stop trying to be Miss Wonderful. You know, I was one of those model good girls. And because of that, it kind of got to my head. And I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. I mean... They have their struggles, but thank God my struggles aren't like their struggles. You know, that attitude sometimes we have. And so God had to break me and bring me uh, to the cross. And as I'm coming through this experience, that is when I began really grasping a hold of the scriptures and really began claiming the promises, like Jason talked about this morning, of what he's been sharing. Like I say, you got to go back and hear Jason Slager's uh, devotional morning message is so powerful. Um, going through the scriptures and saying, Lord, you say this in your word. I want to see this in my own life. Lord, you say such and such. I want that more abundant experience. You know, the, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I began thinking in my head, if he's able to do above what I ask or think, why am I just asking for what I ask or think? You know, why don't I pray for more? And, and, and we're told in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which you know not. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. And so I began, began claiming that as well, and began daring, literally, to ask for more. And this is where... The journey began um, upon the promises. If you would ask me the single most thing that has made a difference in my personal walk with God and is still making a difference because I'm on this journey, like all of you, I haven't arrived, I'm still on the journey, um, but I've tasted and seen what God can do. The single most thing that's made a difference for me and I believe that will take us above and beyond in our personal walk with God is learning to pray the Word of God. Really, really pray the Word of God and claim the promises. And so that's what I began doing. I began taking the promises, and I had these little colored cards, similar to what I have here, and I would put my prayer request on one side of the card, and I would put Bible promises on the other side of the card. And I would just start claiming the promise. Whether I felt like it, whether I didn't feel like it, you know, we cannot rely on our feelings. We have to rely upon the Word of God. I would just start claiming the promises. And I have since actually put together um, prayer and promise cards to help people learn how to pray the Word of God and just to give them examples. And people can, of course, uh, the best is if you continue, you know, to add your own promises. But I'll just give you... Um, just give you some examples here. Like I have a category, prayers and promises for my personal spiritual growth. Father, I praise you that you have power to bring new life to dead bones. Please rescue me from any spiritual complacency. Give me a passion to know you and to live for you with joy. Is that a prayer that we need to be praying? Yes. 
So bring new life to my dead bones. And that's what I am. I'm recognizing I'm dead bones. Lord, please help me. And this is a promise we can claim Ezekiel 37, 5. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. If you feel it like you're in a place right now where you're a little dry and you're a little dead, as I tell people, you're in the perfect place for God to do his work. You just have to recognize, I'm here, I'm dry, I don't have what you're talking about, but I want it. He says, that's okay, just ask. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you will live. I will bring you back to life. Claim this promise. Doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel like he's near or he's not. He is because he tells us in his word. Father, I praise you that you can give me a new heart, a heart that loves you and loves the things of heaven and that will turn away from the allurements of the world. I'm attracted to the world. It's a struggle. I cannot change my heart, but you promise to do the work. This also comes from Ezekiel 36. Verse 26, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away your stony heart. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I tell you what, these are familiar promises. We talk about them all the time. But are we really claiming them and latching onto them with our life? You know, I had a situation recently um, where I was quite frustrated and a bit hurt by something one of my uh, siblings did. And praise the Lord, he's worked out that situation but my initial reaction, I'm the big sister, by the way, so of course I know what's best. <laughs> I know what's right. And sometimes, even though my brothers are adults now, you know, I have the tendency to still be big sister and be like, you know, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> how can you do such and such? And how can you talk such and such? And to put them in their place. That's the tendency we all have. So I'm really struggling and I'm like, Lord, I'm angry. So-and-so should not have said that. They should not have done that. That's not the way, you know. And, and so I'm just like, and I just have to go to my bed and cry. And I'm like, Lord, give me a new heart. Give me a heart of love and compassion for my brother. You can change his heart. It's not my job to change his heart. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change his heart. Help me change my heart. And I just so much wanted to tell him what I thought about what happened. But I was claiming this promise and um, just, Lord help me, it wasn't through my strength because I, I didn't have the self-control, but he gave me the self-control and he completely took away those feelings and, and whatever to, to fight back and to give a piece of my mind. He just took it away. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay. He just completely changed my heart and in time he did the same thing to my brother. And it's just beautiful. And I'm like, if we would just allow the Lord to do his work and we would cling to the promises, what would he do? Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart will I give you. Uh, I'll, I'll share a couple more. I praise you, Lord, that you want to change me from the inside out. Make me like you. Help me put away all pretense and double standard of living. Help me to have a pure heart before you. Um, this, <laughs> I've paraphrased this a little bit. Romans 2:28. It's talking about he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, but he's a Jew, which is one inwardly. And I say he is not a Christian, which is one outwardly, but he's a Christian, which was one inwardly. The Lord seeth not as man seeth. Man looketh on the outward, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so just praying that Lord will do that work from the heart. I have a couple more here I want to share. Oh, there's so many that I could share, but that's the problem. Um, give me a love for you, your word, the things of heaven. Um, thank you that you can keep me from falling, but if I fall, you won't cast me aside, but you pick me up again. Now to him that's able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Jude one twenty four, And then, of course, the children ones, you know, and many of you are already claiming the, these um, he shared this morning a beautiful quote from Inspiration, but I love this. I praise you, Lord, that you've promised to save the children of the needy. We are in great need, Father. The enemy wants to claim our children, but you're looking to break the power of the oppressor. Psalm 72, verse 4. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. Psalm 72, 4. And here's one more that I will share. I love this one as well. I praise you, Lord, that you've promised to bring my children back from the land of the enemy. You've promised to bring them home. I cling to this promise and wait for you to work. 
Jeremiah 31, 16 and 17. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy, and there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that they, thy children shall come again to thine own border. This is a promise we can pray, Jeremiah 31, 16 and 17, for our children to return. So I've put together these prayer and promise cards, and you're welcome to look at them afterwards just to help people kind of start. You can actually download them online, and I'll give you a bookmark at the end where you can go to our website and you can do that. You can download them, print them up. I have blank sheets. You put your prayer on one side and you write the promise on another. You can do it in your own handwriting and just make your prayer and promise cards. Or you can do like I did um, that I've done as well. I did the prayer and promise cards, but I've also just put together basically a notebook of different promises that that God has given me, and I just pray these promises. And I don't stop praying them. Just because I prayed it yesterday doesn't mean I don't pray it today. You know, he's given us these things. We don't have to apologize and come back to God and say, well, God, here I am again. Can I, can I claim this promise again? You know, he's given us these promises. He's given us his word. And so these are some of the promises that I claim um, just for personal growth in my life, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and all these things. So the really exciting thing is as I began praying these promises that I had literally on keychains that I would carry around, I began seeing him answer these prayers. And as he would answer the prayers, I would take my prayer card off the card and I would fold it up and I would put it in a jar. And this is what's happening here is these are all answered prayers that God began to give me. And when I was praying for different things, you know, it was, it was so awesome to see. I was actually in a transition in my life in ministry as I'm going through this process because I, I was a nurse and I'd been working as a nurse, but then God began to open up the doors for me to work in ministry and I got involved in prayer ministry and then I ended up having to walk away from my work as a nurse because I had so many opportunities to work in prayer ministry that I knew I couldn't do both. And so I'm like, God, how am I going to pay the bills and how, I'm gonna, how am I going to support myself? And it's just like he said, you know, do you trust that I can provide? Do you trust that I can be your husband and I can take care of you? And so I literally gave up the security of a paycheck for about four years and just completely lived by faith. I'd like to say I still live by faith, but at the moment I know I'm going to have a, going to have a paycheck, you know. And so the way God is teaching me to live by faith is in different areas, but he continues to, to, to grow our faith and show us that he can provide, and he really keeps his word. And so I saw him doing this, and I saw him answering, and these are all uh, answered prayers. I remember in the, in the process, I didn't have an income, um, claiming the promise in Matthew 6.31 that says, Take no thought what you shall eat or drink. And I remember thinking to myself, Take no thought. This really means don't stress about these things. You know, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't stress about what you're going to wear. Look at how the lilies of the field are clothed. Don't stress about what you're going to eat. Look at how I feed the birds. Take no thought. Don't stress. And so I made myself a list, and I called it my take no thought list. These are the things that I would normally be stressing about, you know, my gas money and my expenses and my phone bill and electric and all these different things. And I put them on the take no thought list. One of the things I had on the take no thought list was... Um, Oh, man, I'm going to run out of time here. <laughs> um, one of the things I had on the take-no-thought list was gravel because we were struggling in, in the driveway where I was living with getting stuck. But I didn't have $500 to, to pay for gravel. And so that was something else I put on the take-no-thought list. Lord, you know, I need gravel. you know, And I would give it to God, and then I would focus on praying for other things. So I'm not really struggling with this. I'm like, you said, take-no-thought. So I'm not, I'm not stressing over this. And I remember one day my dad came to the office um, where I was and said, hey, Melody, can you come help me drive the, the truck? We need to go get some gravel down the road. And I said, gravel, what do you mean? And he says, well, the local church down the road, we live way out in the country, the local church down the road just paved their parking lot and they have this big pile of gravel left over and they asked us if we could use it. <laughs> and I said, I've been praying for gravel. And he says, you have? And I said, yes, I didn't tell you, but... So we got like five truckloads, five trailer loads, plus a tractor load of free gravel and got my area and, and my parents and road and, and all, everything. And my mom says in the 
30 some years we've lived here, we've never had free gravel. <laughs> and I said, did you pray for it? <laughs> but you know, I love this illustration because it really showed me in this journey that I was on how God cares about the dirt that's under our feet. You know, ultimately, our, our desire is, is that we would become like him and that we would be part of the ministry of reconciliation to bring others to him. That's our ultimate goal in the prayer ministry. But he also says he will supply our needs and he cares about these things. And so I saw him doing this in so many ways. And here's, again, one of my uh, jars with answered prayers as I'm seeing him work in answered prayers. And so it was really exciting um, not just seeing the physical ways, but how he began to work spiritually. I remember people that I was praying for um, that he brought in. Marriages, you know, I'd see other people pray for marriages, and I was like, Lord, I, I need to see this here in my life and these people. And I began to see God work and answer um, and, and bring people that seemed very, very dead <laughs> um, back alive. And something that really happened also along the line um, was the beginnings of Army Bible Camp. Have any of you ever heard of Army Bible Camp? Okay, a few of you have. This is a birth child, uh, basically, of Pastor Ivor Myers, and his desire was to just help people get into the Word. And I um, was part of that team in the, in the beginning as well. And so we started putting together this ministry. And, of course, I, I was praying. I was like, Lord, my biggest passion was to help people, as I told you earlier, be revived. Want to see dead people come back to life. And how is that going to happen? It's going to be through the power of the word and through the power of prayer. And so God brings this ministry along. I get to be part of it. And, and we begin praying, Lord, please show us how to see personal revival happening. And as the ministry is starting in the very beginning, um, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea. We never put on a conference before. Uh, so we didn't really know how to go about the logistics or anything, but we're praying. You know, we have SoCal campgrounds. We're out in California and we're rented, and we have room for 300, 400 people. And two weeks before the event, we had 45 people that had signed up, which is probably less than we have in this room, maybe uh, have in this room. And we're like, Lord, we may not be very, doing very good advertising, but you have to bring the people. Please bring the people together. And so we're praying and praying and praying. <laughs> we're earnest. We're desperate. And when we started camp, we had over 350 people. And that's our very first conference um, that we put on, and it was beautiful. But something else happened that first conference. We had a girl on the team. Her name was Melissa, a really sweet gal that came along. And she had a big burden to see people pray. And she said, we need to have a prayer time every morning before the Bible study time starts. Um, you know, the devotion's going to start at 7. We need to meet at 6 o'clock to pray. And I remember our team, and I was even part of this, were kind of thinking, should we really be asking people to come and pray at 6 o'clock in the morning? You know, we're just hoping they'll come for 7 o'clock for the devotional. I'm not sure about this. And so we were a little reluctant. I was a little reluctant. And, um, but then we finally said, well, obviously, people can choose whether they come or not. Let's make the opportunity. And so we did. We offered uh, that morning prayer time. And the first morning, I think maybe we had 20 people, and the next morning we had 40, 60 by the end of the conference, we had over 100 people praying together. And it was so beautiful. It was so powerful. And what we saw God do as a result of those prayers was just um, phenomenal. I remember a man that was planning on getting divorced, going back to his wife and reconciling. And just how God brought the scriptures alive as we were studying the word and, and it was just, just beautiful. So from this very first conference, and I should tell you before we, before we move on, we were, we were praying also, Lord, for provision because putting on a conference is quite pricey. You know, putting on an event like you have here is very expensive. And we were praying, Lord, can you, can you provide at least $10,000 for us to, to get through and show us how you want us to move forward? And 300 people, that's a pretty big prayer of faith to be praying for that, um, at least back 10 years ago when this started. At the end of the conference, God gave us an offering of over $35,000. And so he made it very clear, you know, not only to pay the bills, but he gave us what we needed to go forward, and it was just beautiful. But we recognized we need to be on our knees even more, not just praying in the morning, but we need to have a prayer room where we're praying all day and coming together, um, praying for the speakers, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and praying for each other. And people began to flock to this prayer room that we had going on. 
and it was beautiful. Sometimes we'd have 10, sometimes we'd have 50 or 60. Prayer and faith will do what no power on earth can accomplish. And we began to see more and more people's lives changed. I remember this um, girl that came at the time, she was 14, and she uh, didn't really want to come to the prayer room, but her mom brought her, and she ended up staying for a whole hour. The next day she came back and she stayed for eight hours. And she told us at the end of the conference, she says, you know, I've been going to camps and different things, but I always kind of felt like something was missing, and now I understand what it was. It's the power of prayer. And that 14-year-old went back home to start two prayer groups in her church. And it was really neat seeing how God was, was changing the lives of young people. We had this young man came to us up there in the red checkered shirt that was struggling with smoking. He had been smoking since he was 13, and he wanted to stop, but he didn't know how. And so during the conference, you know, the first day, he's wanting to go smoke. And, of course, we don't want you smoking here on, on, on the campus property and, and whatever. And so one of our prayer teammates took him to the prayer room and started praying with him. And they just began praying and praying. Do we believe that God has the power to give us victory over these addictions in our life? Yes, he does. And so why don't we hold on until we see the prayer answered? You know, we have to pray through, as I say, until we see breakthrough. Sometimes breakthrough comes in a few hours, and sometimes it doesn't come for years. But you hold on. If you know something is according to the will of God, the salvation of your loved ones, um, you know, these different things sometimes take longer because we have all free choice, right? So I can't manipulate your choice. I need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work upon your heart. But something, I encourage people to pray very firmly and, and not let go of, and it, it doesn't need to take years, is victory over personal sin and addiction in our own lives. And you may not be struggling with smoking, but maybe you're struggling with another addiction. You know, maybe it's a, a media addiction or an entertainment addiction or some type of food addiction or these different things. And he promises to give us victory. So will we hold on until we see the answer come? So they're praying there in the prayer room, claiming the promise, and it was time for supper. And my friend says, do you want to go and eat supper? It's time for supper. And the young man who's just in his early 20s, says, no, I need to keep praying. So he stayed another couple hours in the prayer room. I think he was in there like four or so hours. And at the end of the time, he walked out and he says, the craving has left me. I have no desire to smoke. And the rest of the day, the rest of the week, you know, five days or whatever, no craving. You know, God took that nicotine addiction away. And he will do that um, if we will hold on. Another man came to us, and this is not the picture of him, but I'm just using him as an illustration, and he was struggling with an eye problem. And he didn't tell us initially what his problem was. And when I talk about an eye problem, it's a lust problem. He was married, and he had eyes for things that he shouldn't have eyes for. And he knew it was wrong. He wanted to be healed. He wanted to have that pure relationship with his wife, but he's struggling. What do I do? And so he comes to the prayer room, and he's just praying every day. And he's not telling people. This was his own private you know, struggle, just praying, Lord, please change my heart. Give me a new heart. Take away this, this heart for the things of the flesh out of me. And, and he's just praying and praying. And after three days or so, he'd been really wrestling and praying. Uh, he had another eye problem as well. He couldn't see without glasses, which I'm fast getting there. That's why I have to carry them around because I can't read without them anymore. And he's struggling and he can't see without glasses, but he has this eye problem. He, after three days of praying, he felt like God had given him the victory in his heart. You know, when you've prayed and prayed and prayed, you know when God's given you that breakthrough in your heart and that peace is in your heart and you just feel that strength of the Lord. And so he knew that God had given him personal victory. So he's walking to Bible class that morning to the Bible study that we were having and he suddenly recognizes that he was not wearing his glasses and he could see perfectly. So not only had God healed him spiritually, but God healed his eyesight as well. And that's a beautiful illustration, I think, of Ephesians 3.20, which says, Now in him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God wants to do so much more. There's so many more testimonies. Um, we just, lives change. You know, when we started this prayer ministry, you know, I believed in the power of prayer. I did. I grew up in a home that prayed. But I wasn't really seeing these type of miracles and, and different things. And so 
my whole paradigm on prayer and what God wants to do, especially in the area of spiritual healing, you know, just restoring our heart and our soul for him and giving us purity of heart and changing our mind and the thinking patterns and the bitterness and the different things that we get encumbered with just began to take, just began to expand. Wow. What will the Lord do? You know, we don't have to live under this depression, you know, that we struggle with. We don't have to live under, you know, the generational, generational curses that we inherit from our family. God really does want to give us healing and spiritual victory. And many times physical victory as well. Although I tell people when we pray, we know it's God's will to heal us physically, but we, we don't always know the timing of that healing. That might be now, that might be later on, or it might not be to the resurrection, but we can still pray and ask. This man here had come basically wanting to end his life. He um, was in a very severe depression state. He ended up during one of our conferences spending over 30 hours in the prayer room and went home a completely changed man. And he, he now has a prayer ministry, travels around, so many miracles. He's working in a secular environment, and he basically has uh, very, very different influential people that he, he's working with and sharing Christ with. And one of them is, is like the granddaughter of the O'Reillys um, that do the O'Reilly Auto Parts. Um, he knows her. He's working with her. He's already seen people come into the church and be baptized as a result of this prayer ministry that he basically just met on the street and prayed for. And they said, you know, where do you go to church? How can we learn more? And so he's on his way to Panama. He has a health center that he's working on. Um, the the middleman, the, the guy right there in the middle, his name is Andy, just beautiful prayer testimony. You know, the Bible tells us, it's written, my house should be called of all nations a house of prayer. This is what God has designed his church to be, a house of prayer. And how often do we make it something else? You know, a house of entertainment or a house of fellowship and feasting. Even preaching, and preaching is a vital part because we've got to preach the word. But isn't it interesting that the Bible says, my house is to be a house of prayer. It's almost like that Sabbath commandment. Don't forget the Sabbath. <laughs> Because he knew that that would be the one day, the seventh day, that we as a world would forget. And here we see, don't forget, my house is to be a house of prayer. And if you think about it, not just the church, but we are all many houses, many temples that the Holy Spirit dwells in. When we choose to give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And we are to be many houses of prayer. You know, our, our purpose is reconciliation. Our purpose is standing in the gap. We have a whole lost community surrounding this campus. We are to be those that stand in the gap on their behalf to see them come in and find the truth. Now, if there's something that Satan does not like, he does not like to see you in your personal prayer closet. There's something that he does not like. And if there's something that he doesn't like even more, it's to see you and your family praying together. He does not want to see husbands and wives praying together. He does not want to see parents praying with children. He does not want to see families praying together because he knows as there's healing and unity and strength in families, there's going to be strength in the church. And I believe if there's something even more that he does not like to see, he does not like to see churches praying together. Because you know when we pray together as a church, you can't backstab each other. You can't hurt one another and wound each other the same way when you're praying for one another, when you're lifting each other up. You just cannot because there's a love and a unity that comes because the Holy Spirit comes, and it's beautiful. I don't think that we really understand, though, that we are living in a spiritual war. And again, I keep referring back to Jason Slager's morning devotionals. It's really neat how the Holy Spirit brings things together because I had this in my presentation long before I heard his devotionals. And yet I'm like, wow, this is powerful, the points that he's bringing out. The fact that we are living in a time of war. We are living in a time of spiritual war. And you know, um, this, this friend of mine who's had a prayer ministry in South America told me he met a man who used to be part of the, in the occult world, who's since come to the Lord. And this man shared with him, if Christians just realize the power that there is in prayer. When I was in the occult world, one of my jobs would be to go around to communities and cast spells. You wonder why there's so much 
fighting and, and, and violence and stuff with families, it's because we're casting our, our spells, trying to break apart the families. But wherever there are families praying, and especially where there's churches praying, we cannot be um, effective. Christians do not recognize the power that there is when we pray. Something else happened um, with one of our prayer teams in the Philippines because basically I'm kind of running ahead because there's a lot of stories that mesh together. But Army Bible Camp started. The ministry began to grow. We kept going forward with more conferences, and then we began to get invitations to take our prayer team all these different places around the world. And I got involved with the prayer ministry as a result of that because we didn't have enough prayer teams. My initial function with the ministry was more the logistics programming coordinator. I was programming all, you know, the, the programming for the conference and working with the logistics behind the scenes. But I had a heart for prayer and I had a heart for these things as well. And so God begins to pull me into the prayer ministry and I began traveling. And we have teams traveling all over um, teaching people how to pray together and, and just revival, reformation, all these different things. And we had a team in the Philippines, the Adventist University of the Philippines, that were praying together and many students coming together. And this one girl came into the prayer group and prayed one day and she was crying and just just had a beautiful experience. And at the end, one of my teammates asked her, you know, are you okay? And, and everything, she's like, oh, this is beautiful. I've never prayed with a group of people like this before. This is so, so beautiful. And she says, but... She says, I'm crying because I can see God is with you. She says, while we were praying, she says, I opened my eyes, and let's say this is a prayer group, and I looked around and I saw the circle of dark evil angels that were trying to break into the prayer group and to stop the praying. She says, but holding them back were stronger angels of light. And she says, I can see God is with his people when they pray. And I thought it was very interesting. Our prayer team didn't see that, but she did. She was not really a believer per se, but she came in and she says, God is with you. And if we could remove the veil and we could see what prayer really does, I think we all would be on our knees much more. We would recognize what God has given us. Since the Bible Camp Ministry started back in 2009, we've had over 30-some conferences, and the ministry is continuing uh, to go forward. Um, but God has been taking me on on another journey, and that is specifically praying for the leaders of our church. Do you believe that our church needs prayer? <laughs> Amen. We are in a spiritual battle, and if ever there was a time that we need to be praying for our church, it's now. And God really, through the course of time, has convicted me. You know, the story in Exodus 17 that Moses is up on the mountain and he's looking down and Joshua is fighting in the valley. And um, when his arms are up, they're winning. Israel's winning. But when his arms go down, Israel is losing. But Moses' arms are heavy and he recognizes you know, that he's struggling to hold up his arms. And so Aaron and her come and hold up his arms. And God began convicting me that we need to be praying a lot more for our leaders. And so this is where a whole new branch of prayer ministry for me started. So God's convicting me. We need to come together and we need to pray. And so God opened the doors. I had an invitation to come to the general conference and lead a prayer team. This is in 2010. This is actually the year that Elder Wilson was just starting to become president. And here we have Mark Finley and I about 10 years ago. Um, and he's asking me, because we're seeing prayer changing, churches, and you know we've been asked to come to Andrews University. We'd help prayer groups and teams there during evangelistic series. And so we miracle after miracle after miracle, children coming back into the church. And, and this is what's so exciting for me, because I can tell you many stories about how God has provided for me, how he's paid my bills, how he's healed um, me or family members or different things. But for me, the most exciting thing is just seeing the, the lives that he's been reclaiming, lost children coming back in, marriages restored in these. So we're seeing this and we're seeing this. And I just began to keep journals of these answered prayers and, and, and write them and store them up. They were so encouraging. And so because of this, Jerry and Janet Page were at the general conference and they asked um, me to bring a prayer team to the GC to pray. And I didn't really know a whole lot about the general conference. I didn't know a whole lot about the leadership or what was going on. Um, but I was like, Sure, we'll come and pray. And so we ended up going and praying there, and it was just beautiful, beautiful seeing um, what what God did. This is, I guess, going ahead of the story. But 
Um, we had a prayer room. We not only prayed in the morning with the leaders, but we had a prayer room that they come that they came and prayed with us. And I saw division leaders, presidents, all these different people crying and weeping and saying, Lord, we need you to do a new work in our heart. We need you to take us deeper, do a deeper work in our heart and life. And so that was really uh, exciting. And I remember one leader came to me and he says, Melody, I've been coming to the GC for 15 years and I've never felt the power of the Holy Spirit as I have now. God is doing something with this church. And so that was the beginning back in 2010. Um, and God is laying on my heart, we need to be praying more for leaders. And so the next year when annual council came, that's the fall meetings in the fall, I got a group of team, a team together of eight different people. And this is where it was really fun. I said, we, because to start off the year, let me back up and say this. To start off the year, I've kind of had a, a practice over the years to start off the year with prayer and fasting just for my own personal walk with God. I want to go deeper. And so I would start off with just prayer and fasting and just saying, just do a deeper work in my heart. And, and God began to convict me, you need to pray and fast for the leaders of our church and you need to go and pray for them. And so that next year I was convicted to take a group um, of people and God brought them together to go for three weeks, 21 days of prayer and fasting to pray on behalf of our church. And God organized all the logistics for us to get in because have any of you ever been to the general conference? A few of you have? Okay. It's a huge building, you know, five, four-story building, about six, seven hundred people work there, large building. Um, and so you can't just go in anytime you jolly well please. But God gave us the passes in the network, and we went in at three o'clock in the morning. And we went in at 3 o'clock in the morning because we wanted to pray through each department throughout the building, and we wanted to do it when no one was there, that we wouldn't be getting in any people's way. And so this is that very first year that we went in. We'd start at the basement. There's a beautiful picture of Jesus in the narrow way, and we would just consecrate ourselves to God. And we're like, Lord, we're here to pray on behalf of your church. And we're crying. We're claiming the promises. We're here to pray on behalf of your church. Who are we? We're just kids. We don't know what we're doing but we have a burden for you to work and do a deeper work in your church. And we're praying on behalf of everyone that works here. You know, three different things. Lord, we know that there are some that work here um, that love you, but they've gotten too busy that they've lost their first love. So Lord, please take them deeper. And then, Father, there are some that work here that don't know you as they should, and they need to be converted. You know that there are people that are working in the church that are not converted? Yes, there are. And the third thing is, is, Lord, there are some people that are working here with an agenda to destroy your church. And if they should not be working here, then remove them. And I say that unashamedly because we want the glory of the Lord to prevail on behalf of his church. So we are praying these three things. But before we go through the building, praying through all the departments, we're starting in the basement and we're just like, Lord, we don't want there to be anything between us and you. Because is it going to make any difference if we walk through this building and pray if the Holy Spirit is not with us? If we don't have a heart genuine for you, is that going to make a difference? No, we have to be consecrated. And so we would start that. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're doing this for three weeks. I have these eight women together from all over the world, from Romania and Germany and different places. God brought the team together. And sometimes we had to stop and just work out things amongst ourselves because we had different ideas about how things were going to happen. But God kept giving us peace, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful seeing what God did as a result. Um, something really, really neat that happened. I remember 3.45 in the morning one morning we were walking through, and one of my teammates prayed, you know, Lord, if there's anybody that needs to to have a deeper walk with you, wake them up out of their sleep right now and help them to realize, wake up and make their life right with you. And later on that very day, we saw this posting on a website that said 345 this morning, I woke up out of my sleep and was overcome with a conviction of my sins. And I got on my knees and I confessed my sins and I repented and I encourage you to as well. And this was on one of our church websites. And I was like, there, look it. You know, we're not really going to know until eternity how God is answering our prayers, but there's little evidences that God is working. And so we began to see, and I know I need to wrap things up here, that God is hearing these prayers. God is answering these prayers. Imagine if we would crucify self instead of crucifying the brethren. Well, I'm finishing up here. 
would you just would you just um, pass out these books, Pastor Rob, to to the group here? So those books, I want you to give out those before we add this to the. So we just we just have seen. I'm gonna I'm gonna share with one last story. Will you pass those out on the other side of the room? And even if you already have a book, you want a book because you might have the possibility of getting something more buy one of these books because <laughs> I'm going to give away a couple of goodies here. But we have just seen God answering our prayers and I, I just have to ask and think and I have some more stories that I'll share tomorrow that I'll add on to the message that I share tomorrow. But can you imagine what would happen in our churches if we would take seriously the call to band together and pray? That doesn't mean you have to go at 3 o'clock in the morning and circle the church. But seriously, I really found being on location does make a difference because I'm much more earnest when I'm here than when I'm praying, you know, whatever. I don't know. So I think being on location is a blessing if possible. But just imagine what God would do if we would pray for our churches. So I just really want to challenge you. I have some more stories about what happened during annual council and miracles that we saw happen that I will share tomorrow. Um, in those books that you just got, if you open the front cover, um, I'm going to have a prayer here, but before I do, if you open the front cover and you see my initial, or not my initial, if you see a little heart, um, two things. There's one person in the room that I'm going to give a set of promise cards to. So if you have, okay, you have a heart. If you have a heart, I'm going to give you a Daring to Ask for More book, which is my personal book and testimony. If you have in written in the front, there's only one person in the room that will have this that says promise cards, I'm going to give you a set of these. And these are handmade, you got the promise cards. So, But you can go and make them online. Um, here's one more thing. Pass the bookmarks back. Okay, I'm going to have prayer, but, but one more thing. The bookmark that we're passing out. Some of you might want to know, where do I go and download those promise cards? You can download them and print them up from the Internet. If you go to our website, revivalandreformation.org, on this bookmark that she's handing out, and go on the very front page to the top recommended resources. Click on top recommended resources, scroll down, and you'll see my prayer and promise cards, okay? So you can download them. So these are resources that you can access. There's many more resources there. I'll tell you more about those tomorrow. So I'm going to have prayer. If you have a heart on your book, you can come to me and I will give you a book. And I'll have some more goodies that I'll give over the week as well. So come back tomorrow and bring some... Come back tomorrow and bring a friend. I have so much more to share. I'm sorry for going over time. But uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here uh, today, and again, I just pray that you will grow our faith, that you will grow our trust in you. You've given each one of us this key. This is not something uh, that just Pastor Rob has given or the pastors have given or I've been given. It's each one of us, Father. Just grow our faith and trust in your word and in who you are because you want us all to go deeper wherever we are, Father. You want us to dare to ask for more, and so help us to do that, we pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this time together today. We just give you all honor, glory, and praise in your precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.